making it right over a table and losing money. I probably lost two grand or three grand on that deal, ended up giving me the opportunity. And they had the faith and the trust in me because I'd already proven myself with nothing to gain. They had taken a chance on me. And that was the beginning of buying and selling homes and vacation rentals. CEOs often feel stuck in the grind of scaling their business and feel like they're missing out on the best parts of life, like family, friends, or travel. On this podcast, CEOs come to take themselves and their companies to the next level. Let's dive into the Millionaire Mind with your host, Dallin Schultz. Hey, welcome back to another Millionaire Mind episode where I have some of the most successful business owners sharing what motivates them to get out of bed every morning and how they elevate themselves and their companies to the next level. And I've got another great guest joining us today. Look, there's a reason this podcast is called The Millionaire Mind, a journey into the mindset of successful business owners. Business, along with life, is very much a journey. And what I've realized is it's a very individualized and personal journey. Now, don't misinterpret that as me saying you need to do it alone because you can't. Any successful business owner will tell you that. What I'm saying is that your path to success will almost always look different than the person next to you. And sure, they might cross and intersect, especially if you're in similar industries. But the great thing is, is that we can learn from each other's journeys as we share what's worked and what hasn't worked. And that's why this podcast exists. And today we're going to hear about another incredible journey and how this person used their work ethic and ability to connect with the right people to continually lead him to recognize and capitalize on more and more opportunities. So really excited to get into our interview today. A special welcome to our guest, Brandon. Brandon, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. So give the listener a little bit of a background. Brandon and I actually met, it was probably three, four weeks ago. We met at a conference out in Los Angeles, Newport Beach. And as we connected over lunch and I started hearing about his entrepreneurial journey, I just asked him, I said, Brandon, would you be interested in being on the podcast? And here he is. So really excited to have you on and excited to have you share your journey and go into a little bit more depth, not just with me, but with our listener. So Brandon, why don't you just start out and Introduce yourself and share with our listener a little bit about who you are and what you're currently doing. Absolutely. I am in San Diego, California. I am a father of two five and seven-year-old boys and a husband and a business owner. And we have uh, multiple lines of business in our companies uh, or my companies, the first of which is mostly real estate based. First, second, and third is mostly real estate based. So I have a development partner with Cast Development and my buddy Lawrence Howard. And so we have uh, multifamily apartment buildings going up in uptown San Diego. So we've got a mid-rise and a high-rise, about 375 units worth. And I've got a retail shop that I'm actually taking the interview from now. It's called Seahive. And that is a conglomerate and a marketplace of makers and folks who deal in vintage and have a small business, but don't have the opportunity to have a brick and mortar on their own. So I have about four locations and over 300 vendors total. And on the side, prior to these two journeys and business opportunities, I had been working with the family office locally to do vacation rentals and single family home rehabs and, and fix and flips and development as well. So a little bit of everything. Yeah. And uh, definitely excited to get into this more because you didn't start here. You started in other areas of business. And I think that's so cool to talk about on this episode because 
I've done probably about 75 of these interviews just in the last four or five months. And I don't think there's been a single person that's doing today what they thought they would be doing 15, 20 years ago. And so it's really cool just to see how life kind of unfolds and the opportunities unfold. And so really excited to get into that. So thanks for sharing that background. And to our listener, as you can tell, Brandon is very diverse in his experience with business. And he's been able to do this because of the lessons he's learned along the way and finding the right people and the right partners. So there's always opportunity around us. It's just whether or not we recognize it. So Brandon, let's take it back now. When did this entrepreneurship journey really begin for you? That's a great question. So back in 08, 09, obviously everybody was pulling their hair out and trying to stay alive while the market was tanking and plummeting. And I had just gotten married. And so my wife, Julia, who is an amazing mom, wife, and engineer, basically we had two options. And one was to do what everybody else was doing, which was give back our homes and investments and walk away from them. And we decided that the only way we were going to get where we wanted to go was to really hold on and take care of our credit. And so we started our relationship losing 1200 bucks a month on the house that she had owned before we got married in Washington, myself losing $900 on two properties that I owned in Tennessee. I was losing 900 bucks a month there. And so when we moved to San Diego to start fresh, we were way, 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 way in the red. And so we got the tiniest, cheapest little place in the roughest neighborhood, which was at the time the best neighborhood that we could afford. And we just started building from the foundation up. And that was really a difficult time as it was for everybody because I had actually been in partnership with a family member, grandpa, we bought and sold classic cars. I grew up a car guy and a car kid, and I loved and was obsessed with vehicles of 1960s and earlier. And so I had this established business with my grandpa. And at the time, the economy took a dump. Literally, it wasn't whether your vehicles were worth what they were. It was whether you could find somebody to buy them because most people were selling their Sunday drivers to keep their house. And so It was in a really odd situation. Just had gotten married, relocated to San Diego, losing money everywhere. I had a bunch of cars that I couldn't sell. And it really took me like six or eight months just to get my money back out of those cars, return capital to my grandpa. And that's where we started. And basically, when we moved to San Diego, we brought nothing. And we decided, since we just got married, let's start everything together, fresh and new. And I thought was the best thing we probably ever could have done. And the first thing we did when we got our little tiny place was we needed furniture. And so we went out and looking for furniture, I was hunting in Craigslist. And back then that was about all there was. There was no Facebook marketplace and things. And it was quite fruitful. And I ended up buying a sofa and a coffee table from this gentleman. And later that day, I was looking for a pair of chairs and a credenza. And I found a pair of chairs from this gal. And I went over there and she had an even cooler coffee table. So I bought the coffee table because it was better. And the next day I found somebody with a credenza that we could put our TV on. So I went to go buy the credenza. And of course it was the coolest coffee table I'd ever seen. So three days in to being here in San Diego and my wife getting, heading off to her second day of work, she looked at me and she said, Brandon, I don't care what you do today. Just make sure that when I get home, there's only one coffee table in our living room, <laughs> not these three stacked up. And so I said, okay, we'll do, no problem, because you literally could not see the TV because you'd sit on the sofa or the pair of chairs and all you'd see was coffee tables. (laughs) So I took pictures of all of them, put all of them on Craigslist. And at the end of the day, my wife came home and there were zero coffee tables in the living room. And she says, 
what in the heck happened? Where's the coffee table? Our coffee tables. And I said, I sold them all. And she goes, well, why'd you sell all three? You should have kept one. We said, well, I took pictures of them. I put them on Craigslist and I made 550 bucks today on those three coffee tables. And she looks at me and she goes, really? And I said, yeah, how much did you make? And she goes, ah, shut up. Don't rub it in. And she goes, well, now you're going to go buy a coffee table. And I said, yeah. And I think there might be something to this because back in the day, Craigslist back in 09, was this amazing place where there was no spam. There was nobody trying to cheat anybody. There were no ads everywhere by these companies. It was legitimately just people trying to sell their stuff. And mid-century modern furniture was hot. And that's kind of how my first business as an adult, a married adult, began here in San Diego. Now that transferred it two weeks later, I had three storage sheds I was buying and selling out of. And four weeks total, two weeks after the storage sheds, I had signed my first lease and opened up a mid-century modern furniture store. And that store, little did I know, this was just something I was trying to stay busy with while the economy was coming back to keep myself entertained and maybe make some money. And that store ended up being basically the foundation of every relationship I have today. And for seven years or eight years, I literally met between 20 and 50, 60, 70 people a day. And out of that store, current business partner and friend, my current investors and friends, literally everybody that I do business with has some connection in some way back to that store. And it is absolutely incredible because as you mentioned earlier, you never have that foresight to know what's going to look like in 15 years. And literally something that I just fell into and thought I'd do to stay busy until the car market came back and the film industry came back because I was also a dancer in a previous life and choreographer until everything came back. That's what I'm going to do to stay busy. And it's literally now what I've built my entire platform. So really, really incredible just how that journey started. That's how it started for myself. And so freaking quick too. I mean, you said from that time you sold those first three coffee tables within four weeks, you had your first lease signed. Yeah. And everybody thought it was nuts because A, I didn't really know much about mid-century furniture at the time. And B, everybody thought, why in the heck are you opening up a store when everybody's closing? You're absolutely out of your mind. And what I ended up finding was a space across from two other mid-century stores. It was a new development and the commercial first floor had never been filled. And so you had these folks who had paid 850 to $1.2 million for these condos. And because it was completely vacant on the ground floor, we had homeless sleeping there and it was really just a mess. And so the owner had to get somebody in the space so that the folks who were in the building were not disappointed. And so I literally got to name my price and I think it came out to about 33 cents a square foot. Per oh month. my gosh. In San so Diego. Li- it was literally given away. Yeah. There was folks on the street, a couple blocks away, paying a block away, paying $1.50 to $2 a foot. And I was paying 33 cents. So I wow. used that to my advantage because everybody was distressed. And the very nice gentleman who made the mistake of telling me that he had to get somebody in there was really the springboard to what allowed me to really build my foundation here in San Diego. What an awesome opportunity. Well, I want to go back just a little bit. I mean, all this was happening in your first year of marriage. Anyone that's been married or is still married knows that that first year of marriage is tough on its own because you're bringing in two completely different upbringings, lifestyles, mindsets, personalities, and you're trying to figure out what this new life looks like doing it together. So that alone is tough. Yeah. And on top of that, you guys moved, you had all this debt, you were losing money. Like, man, I can't imagine how tough that was, but I'm sure 
sounds like you and your wife didn't have anything else to do other than really lean into each other and figure it out. So I would imagine that actually probably helped accelerate and strengthen that bond between you two. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when we got engaged, the economy was just roaring and things were amazing. And literally we got married, I think two months, we got married in October and everything kind of started taking a dump in August. So we literally got married two months and as it was literally imploding. And that's where ground zero was for us in our new relationship. And so, yeah, it was amazing experience. And I highly recommend starting new as a couple if you ever can do that in a new place with new friends. Because what we experienced during dating was that I had my group of friends, which is very different from her group of friends. When I joined her group of friends, I enjoyed it, but it wasn't really, they weren't my people. And I think vice versa. And it was really cool starting in a new place, meeting couples, because all of our friends were still single. We got married relatively young, I think we're 22 and 24. And so it was really just an awesome place. And when I look back at it, that stress of the economy being where it was at and just trying to survive and hold on to our credit, like you said, it really did force us to lean in. It was, and now in hindsight, it was the best thing that we ever did. So. That's awesome. Well, listen, I want to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, you mentioned that starting this furniture store is what led you to all the partnerships that you have today. So when we get back from this commercial break, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how those opportunities presented, how you met these partners, and then we can talk about how that got you to where you are today. So we'll be right back after this quick commercial. Hey, Dallin Schultz here with Rev Equity Group. We just launched an exciting new investment opportunity for those looking to diversify their investments across a thousand plus apartment units in some of the hottest markets in the country. If you are fed up with banks and the stock market and want to invest in hard assets to more effectively grow and preserve your wealth, then click on the link in the show notes for more info or go to investwithrev.com and schedule a short 15-minute intro call so we can determine if our investment strategy is aligned with your goals. It's time to take your financial future into your own hands. Take action, schedule a call, and find out how my team can serve you. At Rev, we make apartment investing easy. All right, welcome back. So what we're going to talk about now is Brandon mentioned that because of this success he experienced in the furniture store and selling these coffee tables and other stuff, he really connected with his current partners today. So Brandon, share with us a little bit about just the timing and how all that unfolded. Yeah. So when I first started with the furniture, I was selling pretty entry-level stuff. And as my knowledge grew of all of the different designers and the history of design, my offerings uh, increased in quality and value. And so I was literally able to hit in a seven-year period folks who were just buying mid-century modern furniture because it was vintage and cool and green and maybe to save a little money, all the way up to when I started, I was selling $150 to $300 coffee tables. And when I finished, I was selling $10,000 to $30,000 coffee tables. And so through that progression, levels of design, I was able to really network with everybody in town. And it was a really awesome it was a really awesome place to be, really. I mean, the fact that I was dealing with so many new people a day, I had no idea then that, again, it would lead me to all my relationships. So 
For instance, my business partner, Lawrence Howard, and our partners with CAST Development, we now have a high-rise, 17-story high-rise, 260 units, and 114-unit mid-rise here in San Diego that he and I are partnered on. And we met because he walked into my store almost every other week when he got a paycheck to add to his furniture collection because he was furnishing the first house he'd ever bought. And, you know, after like four or six weeks of doing this, I said, hey, you're working on furnishing a house. We started kind of hanging out a little bit and talking. And he says, yeah, I bought my first home. I really want to be particular about how it comes together. And I don't want just junk in there. He said, well, I tell you what, man, you seem pretty cool. I've got a ton of, of inventory. Why don't I help you decorate the place? And you can just make me payments whenever you can, whenever you can afford it. And he goes, really? And he goes, that would be amazing. So I went over to his house. We came up with a plan and a budget. And literally, I think the very next night I was there with him installing furniture at eight, nine, 10 o'clock, literally putting in lighting and pimping his place out. It's actually comical now because we've joked before that the reason why he met his wife his now wife walked into his house when they were dating. She knew right when she walked in the door that, oh man, this guy has it together because his place is awesome. And he understands design. She's in the art world as well. So Brandon, it sounds like you were a furniture salesman and a matchmaker for your partner, Lawrence here. Yeah. Unbeknownst to me at the time, we were just having fun and he was a cool dude and I wanted to help out. And I had a bunch of inventory and it was mutually beneficial. Little did I know that she walked in his apartment when they first started dating and surprised by his attention to design and how well his place was put together. And her being in the art industry was just taken back supposedly. So anyway, it's something that we kind of giggle about now. And now that we're all friends and ironically enough, he ended up taking that house, selling it. And I resold the furniture for him like two years later, got him all of his money back on consignment. And he ended up taking that money, going and getting a master's in international real estate and finance in Glasgow, that he then ended up coming back, getting more experience for the next 10 years. And then ultimately he went out on his own and I partnered with him. So it's just really amazing how one connection, a, a guy in my furniture shop is now my business partner. We've got, I think, over $260 million worth of development now. So you just- Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Hindsight's pretty awesome. You said this very quickly, but like he went away to Europe and then came back, got experience for 10 years, then you guys partnered up. So you guys have known each other for how many years before you decided to partner? Probably 12, 13, 14 years, something like that. Uh, yeah, I mean, 13 years. Yeah. He was one of my first customers, maybe five or six months into opening up my store. And we had just kept in touch. And of course, when he moved back from Europe, I helped him and his then fiance, I believe at that time to buy more furniture for their new place. We've just always stayed in touch. And while he was working for larger firms, worked for TCR, uh, Tramical Residential, and some other boutique development firms, I used to laugh and joke with him that whatever point you're tired of making big companies money, come over and let's, let's do something on our own. Because at that time, I had already transitioned into doing some single family and short-term vacation rentals and that kind of thing on the side. So it really is awesome just to see the parallel track and the, all of our humble beginnings, right? I think it's important to highlight that because a lot of people starting out in business, if they're newer to business entrepreneurship, they're hesitant to get into partnerships because you hear all these horror stories. You hear all these things going wrong, going sideways, and it happens, unfortunately. Sometimes that's just part of business. But in this case with Brandon, take note of how long he connected with Lawrence for before they became business owners. It didn't happen overnight. It wasn't two weeks. Hey, let's jump into business. They really 
knew each other and they knew how they operated. And it was at that point that they decided like, hey, let's go ahead and do this. Now, Lawrence isn't the only opportunity that came from having this furniture store. Your transition into real estate happened because of a customer you served as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So the family office that I work with, the husband and wife, Mike and Mary, were just normal customers who came in one day, bought something, came back a couple months later, bought something else. And at one point, they bought a beautiful designer table for several thousand dollars and they took it back to their home. It's almost an hour away and it's up in, in the warmer part of town, uh, northeast part of the county. And I think it was right before summer. And I had had the table refinished and reveneered and refinished prior to them buying it. And they had left for the summer to a vacation home out of state. And their home got so hot that the newer veneer had actually bubbled and kind of started lifting. And so when they came back from vacation six weeks later, she called me and said, hey, Brandon, I don't know what happened. It sent me pictures of this table that was now several thousand dollar table that was just hammered. And the veneer had failed and the refinishing had failed. So I said, you don't worry about it. I'll come pick it up. I'll get it taken care of. And I went out there, drove an hour there, hour back, picked it up, had it completely redone for another $1,500 in labor and materials, had it re-delivered two weeks later, drove out there, delivered it, brought it back. And she looked at me and said, so thank you so much. This is awesome. I really appreciate this. Super grateful. So no, no, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to make it right. Four or five weeks later, same thing happened. They went on vacation. It was still summer. It was the tail end of summer at that point. Table failed again. And I said, look, I've got a table from the same designer that's actually prettier. It's probably worth about 3000 bucks more. I'm just going to swap it out. I'm going to give it to you. So I got in my car, my van, a delivery van, loaded up the new table. It's uh, designed by Edward Wormley for a company called Dunbar. Drove it all the way up to Ramona again, dropped the table, picked up the old one. And I remember... I think the husband, Mike, had said, I really, really appreciate this service. It's much more than we would have ever expected from a small business person like yourself. And that was kind of the beginning of our relationship because I went way over and above to make sure that they were taken care of. And the next time I believe that the wife, Mary, was in my store, she had seen me looking at some mid-century modern homes that were for sale. And she said, oh, I'm a real estate broker. Let me know if I can help you find a house. And I said, actually, I go into homes all the time doing estate buyouts when people inherit homes. And the first thing they want to do is get rid of the furniture. So when I go in, I have an opportunity to buy homes off market before anybody else sees them, frankly, and being offered great deals right now. And I just don't have enough money to buy them. And so she said, okay, well, next time you find a house, let me know and maybe we'll partner with you on it. So it was literally a week later, one of my other friends that I used to do business with that is also now a business partner in Seahive had called me and said, Hey, Brandon, I'm doing an estate clean out in this beautiful house in La Jolla. It's on a cliff looking at the ocean. It's absolutely incredible. It just looks like it was puked on with the wrong furniture and terrible pink paint from the 70s. And I just spoke with the owner and he said that I overheard him speaking with a real estate agent that told him that it was pretty much a teardown and that somebody's going to build a big mansion here. You should come talk to him. So five minutes later, I was in my car on the way to La Jolla, sat down with the gentleman and I said, hey, what can you tell me about the house? He says, oh, I grew up in it. I actually left home quite young and I just inherited the house. Haven't been here since I was a kid, but it still broke my heart that it's going to get torn down. I said, look, if you sell me this house, I guarantee you I will make it so cool that it won't be torn down, at least not in the next 30 or 40 years. And he says, 
Okay. And I said, well, you know, what do you think it's worth? And he says, well, the real estate agent told me that the dirt was worth just under 2 million, that she wanted to list it for one nine 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 nine. And I said, I tell you what, if you'll sell it to me for 2 million bucks, I'll shake your hand right now and I'll get it done in the next seven days. And he said, all right, let's do that. So I shook his hand. Unbeknownst to him, I only had about 20,000 bucks in my account. There was no way. I was, I was several zeros off of closing on a $2 million home, all cash, that was not in, in, the, in the shape to be financed. And so I started you know, making phone calls, right? And of course, so I remembered Mary. So I called Mary and I said, hey, I've got this house. It's amazing. It just needs a basic remodel. It needs kitchens, bathrooms, paint, some door systems to open up some glass walls, that kind of thing. And so she says, what's the address? I give her the address. She gets on Zillow. She sees that it's a million dollars higher on the estimate than what I can buy it for. She says, what do you think it's going to take? And I said, well, look, I've already walked the foundation walls. There's no cracks. It's an amazing house. It just needs basic remodeling. And she goes, okay, I'm in. And I went, holy crap. I'm buying a $2 million. (laughs) And just like that, I went from a furniture dealer to doing my first flip. And now growing up, I'd spent my summers in Tennessee with my grandpa building homes. So I had enough. One summer, I learned how to run electrical and plumbing. Another one, I did a roof. The following summer, we were building another house and I did foundations and framing. So I had enough of a foundation to be able to remodel this home. So I put a couple of guys together. We remodeled this home. In 90 days, I think we made over a million bucks on it. That's incredible. Yeah. And so that was the beginning. And so that was where my investors and backers come from. And so literally making it right over a table and losing money, I probably lost two grand or three grand on that deal, ended up giving me the opportunity. And they had the faith and the trust in me because I'd already proven myself with nothing to gain. They had taken a chance on me. And that was the beginning of buying and selling homes and vacation rentals. I got to highlight something here, Brandon. You've shared two experiences now, and I'm sure there's plenty more that we could get into, but for the sake of time, unfortunately, we wouldn't be able to. Two very significant relationships and experiences that came about because of this furniture business. What I want to highlight is back to the first one you shared with Lawrence. You went to his house personally as the business owner. I'm assuming you had employees as well. Yep. I had I had two at the time who would fill in when I would need to go out buying and you know rehabbing furniture. Yeah. Okay. You as a business owner took the time to go to his house at nine or 10 o'clock at night to help him design. You took that upon yourself to do that. You didn't send or delegate that to somebody on your team. Second experience, okay, the one that you just shared with us, you personally went out to these people's homes to pick up and deliver a table multiple times. You didn't send one of your employees. You didn't delegate that. You did that. You don't see that very often. That doesn't happen in business in big or small very often. And so those situations to our listener, like, do you see this pattern that Brandon was demonstrating and showing? It wasn't just one off like, oh, this could be a great marketing move if I went out there and I got the tape. No, this is just who he is as a person. And so because of those actions and that effort he was taking to create the best experience he could for his customer look at what opportunities opened up to him. And you said it perfectly. Like You were out a few thousand dollars from that table and that time, but it led you to making over a million dollars on your first deal. Correct. Yeah. And what's ironic is even the gentleman who 
called me about that house. He's actually the gentleman who I opened up the first Seahive with. And we had bought and sold furniture because he did estate buyouts. And later on, he became my partner for Seahive. And so again, it's that personal touch. And ironically, as I grew in business, the hardest part was actually to replace myself because I feel like what allowed me to grow was that personal touch, was the relationships that I built and the trust that I had built and knowing people knew that that I was going to make it right if there was an issue. And it allowed me to grow. And then when I grew, I had to figure out, okay, well, how do I replace myself? Because there's only one me. And that was actually the hardest probably thing that I've had to learn over the last 15 years. So now, for instance, that furniture store, this marketplace of makers and vintage that I own, Seahive, that I started with Todd, that gentleman, we have over 300 vendors, four locations, probably within each location. Each location is a separate company, but we have probably over 70 employees. And so the first employee I ever had at Atomic Bazaar, my mid-century modern furniture store, is now my regional manager at Seahive for several of my stores. And so it's really just amazing when you treat people well, like you'd like to be treated. And when you're in those difficult spots, if people know that you're not going to be put first, that you're going to put them first, you're able to really build some meaningful relationships. And that's really the key to building it and growing. I'm grateful now that somehow I made those, maybe it was intuition, but I made those moves or those decisions to make that utmost importance. So you mentioned one of the hardest things was being able to replace yourself. And delegation is probably one of the things that business owners get hung up on the most, effective delegation. And Stephen R. Covey in his book, I mention this all the time because it comes up so frequently on these interviews. He says, everything is accomplished through delegation. It's either a delegation of your time or a delegation to someone else. So as you were transitioning and finding people to replace you, you said it was one of the hardest things you had to go through. Looking back now and knowing what you know now, what things could you share with someone that's struggling trying to find somebody to replace them? Yeah. You know, I think the best piece of advice is if you choose your people wisely and you do know that they're always going to put your business and your interests first, then you don't have to worry because even if they make what you might think is a wrong decision, everything is recoverable. Right. And so you have to empower people to allow them to take control to replace yourself. And sometimes you disagree with things and you let it ride. And it's really uncomfortable in that first year or two of doing this. And what you'll find is I love Pareto's law, mostly, and this is another kind of tangent of it, is that 80% of what you do really isn't going to change much as long as you have your 20% of fundamentals right. If you empower that person, they might take it a different direction than you would have, but you're probably still going to be successful. And realizing that you can argue and stress over details, or you can realize that if you're profitable, you can just continue to refine it over time in molding the people you're working with. And I say working with, not that work for you, because I don't think, I don't ever look at somebody that works for me, even with all of our employees in any of the companies. And if you don't look at it as a team and that we're all kind of equal of being empowered or worthy of being empowered individually, then you're never going to grow. And that's really what enabled us to do that is that 
when you open up a new store, you're going to see things that you're not happy with. And what you realize is, is that it doesn't really make a difference. That the people are going to still come in and support your store. And if your options are worthy and, and what they're looking for, it's going to be successful. And so if you're doing the fundamentals right, sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone and just give some control over and sit back. And then you'll find out what does and doesn't work. And you have to be willing to fail to be able to grow. And when you see those failures, don't look at them as failures. They're all opportunities to get better and improve your systems and processes. And generally speaking, everybody's got a different path to replacing themselves. A lot of Tim Ferriss's books and guidance have kind of helped me with that. I think that every business is different, right? There's some certain things that you just can't replace yourself on. So it's just important to make sure that you're delegating and you are empowering people that you trust that have the business's uh, interest at heart as opposed to them that just themselves. And when you find that person, make sure you take care of them because that's a really hard thing to find. Great people who want the same success you do stuff these days and aligning the interests and putting in place incentive programs and just letting people know that, hey, I appreciate you and everything you do. It goes a long way. And I still do my best to take the time to touch and touch base with all of my employees regularly and just let them know, hey, thank you for all your efforts. This place wouldn't be the same without you. And we appreciate you. And if somebody's coming to work all day, every day, We've all been in that position where we had a job that you just didn't want to go in when you woke up or you love the person you worked for. And my wife's in corporate America and she always says, it's not the company that you work for, it's your manager. And if you don't have a great relationship with your manager and vice versa, you're never really going to love working there. No matter how great the company's culture is and how great the Tuesday tacos are and the family events, if you're not being fulfilled on it on a regular basis, if you don't feel appreciated and understand that your efforts are part of the bigger function, then who wants to do that every day, right? So it's been a fun journey. And like I said, and every business has a different one and that's mine. I, I absolutely love it. And I would argue that most people, just us being humans, we're looking for that community. And you consider where people spend most of their time. The majority of us, where do we spend most of the time? It's at work. And so if you could create a good community and a good culture, not just the annual luncheon or the annual Christmas party, right? Like if you could create a culture and a community where people really feel included and they feel like they're contributing, once you get that buy-in from them and help them understand how their specific role is helping move the company as a whole and how it impacts other people, now you get some buy-in. Now you get people that feel like they have a purpose outside of just their work itself. And that is up to you as a business owner to dictate. And and it has to be you. That one's hard to outsource. If you're working with a manager every day, and even if you have a great relationship, I've had some employees tell me, hey, the fact that you came and talked to me and actually spent time asking how I was doing and how I felt, and if I thought there were any ways to improve our daily operations, that was huge. And, And I think I did it once and I got feedback that it was important for them. And so I do my best when I have the time to make sure that I continue to keep that as part of my habit when I'm in my stores. There you go again, doing stuff that some other business owners just don't even think about or don't even consider, or they delegate it to a supervisor or a manager. Yep. So I think it goes such a long way. So man, this has been incredible, Brandon. And, and I knew this conversation was going to go quick. But as we start wrapping this up, share with our listener, what's next for you? Where are you heading? What exciting things do you have coming up? 
Well, Sea Hive uh, here in San Diego isn't going anywhere. We're very strong and it's kind of doing its thing. I think my multifamily development is really on the chopping block right now. We got a lot of wood to chop. Capital markets are a mess, but we've got some great projects. We're currently raising uh, capital for our, our concrete type one mid-rise. It's really going back to that relationship, working on the development company and my day-to-day relationship with my business partner as we grow our company and work together. And I think what it all comes down to is why we work. Uh, what's next for me is really making sure that my family understands that everything I do, I do for them and not forgetting to really take time and let my kids know and my wife know that they're the priority. So even if I'm staying late a couple of days a week, it's all a sacrifice, right? So what's next for me is just try to maintain as much balance as I can, continue to build on development and real estate. And you know, these next couple of years are going to be very interesting, particularly the next 12 to 18 months with interest rates, the election coming up, and just navigating where the opportunities are. And so it'll be interesting to see where we all end up 24 months from now, because a lot is changing very quickly, and we all have to use our skills to be dynamic and move with it. By then, you'll probably have a brand new business we can get you on the podcast to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't rule it out. I'm hoping not. I think at this point, the goal is just to stay focused on what I've got and continue to grow them. But yeah, I look forward to coming back and speaking with you again. Love it. Awesome. So Brandon, as we wrap this up, there's these four questions I like to ask every guest. And the first one being is, what is one absolute book recommendation for those looking to scale and further develop their millionaire mind? Good question. There's a lot of them. One of my favorite, every year and a half, two years, I go back to it. It's the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And there's a lot that doesn't apply to some people, but some of it applies so well to their businesses that it's just crucial. It's just a good reminder to go back. I Like I said, I go back and touch on it regularly and just make sure that I'm implementing a lot of the strategy that's in there because it is, it all comes down to fundamentals and whether you're staying true to them. Love it. And what has been one of your favorite quotes that you've embodied and lived by? As far as business goes, I love Pareto. Pareto's laws is, like I said, is huge with me. One of the quotes I think is something along the lines of, if you were Noah and your ark is about to sink, look for the elephants. Because if you throw the small animal overboard, you're just going to keep sinking. But if you can find an elephant to get overboard, you're in much better shape. And I think it's just a constant reminder of making sure that you're not sweating the small stuff. And if you have an issue, go to the thing that's causing it. Ironically, no pun intended, the elephant in the room. But really, I mean, so much of a person's day is, as a business owner, is whether you choose to engage in minutia. And there's certain minutia that needs to be engaged with, and most of it doesn't. And if you can stay true to what actually matters in making sure that the fundamentals in that first 20% are solid, you can deal with the dogs and the cats and the squirrels if you want to, and if time permits. And so it's really just staying focused to make sure that you're not wasting those hours because there's only so many in a day and where we put our time shows what our priorities are. Well said. So if there is one thing you could share with fellow business owners that are beginning or simply trying to get to that next level, what would it be? I would say how you conduct yourself at the bottom is going to determine your trajectory to your top. And I say your top because everybody has this vision of where they want to be. And then when you get there, obviously, the hardest thing is to check yourself and say, 
do I want to keep pushing? Do I want to keep going? And most of us with an entrepreneurial spirit, a spirit, of course, do. But when things were tough and I was losing 2200 my wife and I were losing 2200 bucks a month to keep our properties and credit, I still made sure that, that I was putting my customers first. And that's just one example of really building that foundation in those relationships. If you handle yourself when it's difficult like that, then the folks around you, the people that you're surrounded by will take note. And when everything is good, they'll want to attach themselves to you because they know that it's inevitable that things will be rough again. And we all kind of expect something's coming with our economy, right? And so who do you want to be in business with? It's the person who conducts themselves at the bottom the way that in the best manner possible. And that's the most evident thing in my journey, because when things were tough, it's been my path to where I am now. I think it says a lot about you as an individual and others that can maintain their integrity in the tough times. It says a lot about them because when the economy is good, business is good, it's booming, everyone's making money, everyone's great, everyone's doing good, everyone's all happy, happy friends, right? Until things start turning. And then you see people's true colors come out. So if you could connect with those people in the downtimes, which listen, in the next 12 to 24 months, we're going to be experiencing stuff, right? It's hard to deny that. So take note because you're going to start seeing who's able to weather the storm, who's still conducting themselves in a professional way. And they're going to be the ones that are going to be able to capitalize on the opportunities that are going to be coming up over these next couple of years. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Brandon, how could our listeners, if they want to connect with you or chat with you, hear a little bit more about what you got, either with the Seahive Vintage store that you have or the real estate development, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Yeah. I mean, if it's over real estate development, you can find us at www.cast-dev.com. You can always find our retail endeavors on Instagram at Seahive. And you'll see each store has its own account. And so if you're ever in Southern California, definitely stop by. And of course, you can always just reach out to me directly via email at ccvholdings, H-O-L-D-I-N-G-S-L-L-C at gmail.com. That's Charlie Charlie Victor Holdings LLC at gmail.com. Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Look, this has been an incredible conversation. And if this is your first time listening, I'm so glad that you tuned in. People have been asking me what my company does. So since I have you here listening to my show, I'll share that with you now. So my company partners with busy professionals just like Brandon that are looking to experience significant tax savings, have more to invest, and even reinvest their hard-earned capital. And we work with other successful business owners like you by offering them opportunities to invest alongside us in large apartment deals. At Rev, we found that the most successful business owners have a strong desire to give and to serve, and we simply provide the vehicle to enable them to grow and preserve their wealth so they could give of their time and financial success more abundantly and freely. If you've been wanting to get involved in apartment investing, but have been too busy to figure out where or how to start, then you can find out how I could serve you by visiting investwithrev.com and schedule a 15-minute discovery call. Many people think they need millions of dollars to start investing in apartments, and I'm here to tell you that that is not the case, and it's very likely you could get started today. It could be overwhelming vetting the right investment and the right operator, but at Rev, we make apartment investing easy. Brandon, again, thank you so much for coming on and just 
sharing your incredible journey. It's been a pleasure connecting with you over these last few weeks and definitely looking forward to future conversations. Thank you, Dallin. Have a great one. And to our listener, remember, you can't have a million dollar dream with a minimum wage work ethic. So go out there and earn your win for today. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Hope you got value from this episode of The Millionaire Mind, a journey into the mindset of successful business owners. If you want to get results, you've got to take the right steps to get there. Dallin hosts a free weekly educational webinar focused on teaching you how to start investing in apartments so you too can experience the benefits of real estate ownership without doing any of the heavy lifting. There you can gain insights, connect with others like you, and ask Dallin all your burning questions about how you can start owning apartments today. Go to themillionairemind.us. That link is in the show notes.